I don't know if you saw this morning coming in, I was driving in and I saw this huge flaming ball in the sky. Turns out it's the sun. Um, and that's kind of new the last week, but nevertheless, good to see that thing. Uh, and glad that you're here today. I'm Ed Stetzer, and I'm going to be sharing God's Word uh, with us today. Where, of course, we're in Advent, which does require a little bit of an explanation, so I want to do that. Uh, maybe you have a family tradition that you do each year. Uh, we actually got together with uh, my, my parents and my uh, Donna's parents, my, in, my in-laws, for Thanksgiving, and in doing so, I don't know if it might be a new tradition, but some of you will have things you do every year. For example, some of you rightly put up the tree on the Friday after Thanksgiving, which is the proper date to do that. Um, some of you may have now rightly, because it's December, turned on Christmas music. Anything before that is an abomination. Uh, so, so you may have some traditions that you use, right, and, and that you follow each year. Well, Advent, the season of Advent, is in some ways like that because it's, in a sense, it's kind of like a reenactment, but we all know the big reveal. We all know what's going to happen. Now, why? Because we see these prophecies throughout the Bible about uh, the first coming of the Savior, the first advent, the coming of Jesus. We read some of them today in Farsi and, and in Romanian and and by the way, can I just say to you, having somebody read that from Albania, which was a nation that once boasted that it was the only true, fully atheist nation in the whole world, was a beautiful thing as well, when you know some of the history uh, of Albania. And so, but we, we, we know that the prophecies that were read point to the coming or arrival. The word advent comes from the Latin adventus, which is actually a translation of the Greek parousia, which speaks of the coming or the arrival. So during the advent season, we prepare ourselves for the arrival of the Savior, which here is where it gets a little uh, maybe strange because you know that the Savior has come. Now, why then do we do this? Well, again, it's a sense, it's like a reenactment. It's a reminder of our joy. So, for example, we sang a little while ago this very somber, very somber song, right? We, we kind of let out with, I think that's a cello there. Is that a cello that's played right there? I think it's a really big violin and uh, the really big violin that she was playing. Um, you know, so we started with the cello and, and we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now, if you've thought about this, you're like, well, he's already come. I mean, that's why we're going to have a spoiler alert. Christmas is why that's going to happen, right? So if it's news to you that at Christmas time that the Savior was born, you might have been, you know, raised in a country or a place where you've never heard anything about Christianity. But we literally sing this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, we're like, well, we know the Son of God has appeared, right? It says, it says this, it talks about our spirits bind thine advent here, disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. So why are we singing something that doesn't acknowledge that the Savior has indeed come? Because the songs are often about he is coming, not that he has come. Now, why is that the case? Well, we celebrate a season called Advent, right? So, so Advent goes through a series of processes, and we'll, for example, use here the Advent candles. You can see them right over here, and you'll see the first one is lit. That's the hope candle, and others will explain in coming weeks, and ultimately leading to the middle, which I'll leave to others to explain. But in this, we are, we're building towards something significant, right? And this is a reminder to us of God's faithfulness through history. Advent reminds us to gratefully affirm that Christ 
has come. And we're in a sense, we're reenacting that. We're reenacting that experience. Like uh, in Titus 2, it says this. It says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so there's an advent that's coming. We're waiting. But when in Titus it speaks of this, it's talking about the second advent. So let me not confuse you. And let me say to you that there are indeed uh, two advents we're speaking of today. I'll explain more in a bit. But I've, I've about, I don't know, about maybe three years ago, I brought a couple of books to kind of describe and explain that. And so, so I want you to think of this in terms of uh, Advent. This is the coming. Now, what the people in the Old Testament would prophesy is that the coming of the Messiah was, was, was soon to be before us. And they, looking in their time period of history, let's say this is the past and this is the future, looking from where they are, they're looking and they're just seeing the advent and they know the Messiah has come. They, they don't always see the reality that there's a first and second advent. Right? So, so where they are, prophetically speaking, they'll often put those two things together. We'll often see the suffering servant Messiah and the reigning king Messiah in the same series of verses. Why? Because from where they are, they're seeing the advent, the coming, the great coming of the Messiah. We're going to talk uh, more about that. So, so we know that we're literally reenacting this time period. We are reenacting what was before the coming of the Messiah, the first advent, and then we're worshiping in light of the fact that Christ has come, and we're looking to the second advent when he comes back, when he comes back, and then the future, all eternity with him. But we live between the first and second advent, which explains to us why things are not all fixed, why things are not all right yet, not, not those realities before us. So what we're doing is we're reenacting what's here in Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We know that he has come, but we're singing to remind us of that, leading up week one, week two, week three, week four, ultimately to Christmas Eve and Christmas itself, when then we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. So, so that then is the actual Advent. We are now in the season of Advent before. And so technically, it's not Christmas time yet. So people say Merry Christmas a lot during this season. And you could correct them and say, you know, it's not Christmas till December 25th. Uh, this is Advent. You could do that, but people won't like you. So don't do that. But it is, Christmas begins on 25th and actually has 12 days. Maybe you heard a song, right? So, uh, so the, the, where we are now is here. And why, though, did Jesus come? Why was there joy to the world the Lord had come? Isn't that the greatest question in all the universe? Well, there are lots of things to consider, but two passages are going to help us in particular today. One is Luke 4, 18 and 19, and the other is Luke 19, 10. So these two passages today are going to help us to look at why he came and the hope he brings. Here's what I'm going to lay out before you. Jesus came seeking, serving the hurting, and saving the lost, and he calls us to join him in that hope-filled mission, in that hope-filled mission. So let's take out our Bibles if you have them, and if not, reach into a seat there in front of you and turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is one of our two primary texts today. I'm going to talk first about how good news is announced, how the good news was announced. That's number one on our outline, right? So what does it look like for this joy to the world? The first thing is good news announced. So the first experience here comes early in Jesus' ministry. The second we're going to look at a little bit later, much later. But, but both of us help us understand the reason that Jesus came. In fact, 
The first, Jesus announces why he came, and in the second, he illustrates this in the life of Zacchaeus. So let's take a look at what that passage says. This is Luke 4, beginning at verse 18 and including verse 19. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says this. Well, let me just go up to verse 17 for a little background, then we'll put 18 and 19 on the screen. Verse 17, he's already come to the synagogue. He stands up. 17 says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written, and this is what he reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he opens up the Isaiah scroll, he opens up the Isaiah scroll, and in doing so, he reads this passage. Now, everybody knows what he's doing here because things get a little controversial after he does that. He actually, they end this interchange by driving him out of town and they were trying to ultimately throw him off a cliff. So this reading does not go well. Aren't you glad you don't read two verses and you end up being thrown off a cliff, or at least them trying to? But so he opens the scroll and he, Jesus here actually does something very significant. He brings together uh, this grand story of redemption God is telling throughout the scriptures centered on his own work, Jesus' own work on the cross, right? And here it's the telling of its beginning. He says, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now in verse 21, he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus says that this, these verses are about me. Now this is important, it's deeply significant. Let's look at some of the things uh, that he says here, right? He reads from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now notice the beautiful kind of Trinitarian focus right here. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me, right? We see this picture. And in the Old Testament, uh, kings and prophets and priests were often anointed with some form of oil, but Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, to proclaim good news to the poor. Now this is really significant because when Jesus announces and inaugurates, inaugurate means to begin, something starts with an inauguration, when Jesus announces and inaugurates his public ministry, he does so by quoting Isaiah, but speaking of those who are without. Those, the poor, the uh, captives, the blind, the, those who are oppressed. And he, he, he quotes Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2 here. Now, now, it's interesting because he doesn't quote all of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Matter of fact, he ends it a little short. Let me, let me, you don't need to turn there for the sake of time, but let me read it. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah. This is what Jesus read. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now here's the reality, what you might have missed is there's actually another phrase that's even in the sentence that Jesus stopped at, right? Because when he says, I come, and he says, I'm coming to, to share, proclaim the good news to the hurting, to those without, those who are poor, captives, blind, or whatever else it may be, he does so and people would say, praise God, the Messiah has come. But the reality is it is indeed in two comings because the very next phrase says this, and the vengeance of our God 
to comfort all who mourn. And if you're paying close attention and you notice that Jesus only quoted the part about what he's going to do in the first advent, he's letting us know, he's giving us a picture that this is the beginning, but he's saying there's still a time to come when the day of vengeance of our God and comfort, it says, all who mourn. So we celebrate the first advent, but we look for the second advent. Jesus signals that to us in Luke chapter 4 himself. So here, the announcing of the good news goes to those of us who hurt, which really is all of us. We could say the first kind of relates to all of the others, proclaim good news to the, to the poor. We, without Christ, right, have to face the reality that we are spiritually poor. But then he goes to proclaim liberty to the captives. And this phrase was originally applied to the exiles in Babylon. Now, now again, it's its idea of liberty or redemption. It ties into the theme of redemption. Jesus came to set free the captive from the bondage of sin, and we get to proclaim that hope today. And then he says, recovery of sight to the blind. Now, now again, Jesus actually does this in throughout his ministry, healing some people, but don't miss this, right? Uh, the greatest words in the Bible, right? They, it was, I was blind but now I see. See, don't miss that, but now, so we ourselves spiritually blinded without Christ, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. Then he says to set liberty, set at liberty, those who are oppressed. The word oppressed can sometimes be translated as broken or contrite. See, God loves a broken and contrite heart, and Jesus' ministry was marked by care for those who were hurting, who were oppressed. And listen, if today you think you are beyond God's grace, here's why Jesus came. He brought freedom to the broken, and at Christmas we can share the good news. Sinner, broken, needy, Jesus came for you. Now, what's significant here too, just so you're aware, is Jesus is actually a quoting this, and this is about a very important day. This is about the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Jesus proclaimed um, that he was, from his own lips, he says, I am the fulfillment of God's good plan. He said that I, I, I am indeed, uh, he sovereignly declares that it be the fullness of time, and I have now come. And so what he's saying in short, A.T. Robertson puts it this way, the messianic age has come, Jesus means to say. He's just saying this is it, that this, this is, I am that great day for which you have been waiting. So Jesus in the synagogue, now this is why they responded by trying to kill him, because he commits blasphemy if it's not true. If it's true, it's the most important reality in the whole world. So at the first advent, Jesus comes, but it doesn't quote the verse, the rest of the verse that actually is related to the second advent, where the day of vengeance, God's judgment, is upon all who have not trusted and followed him. And furthermore, he fully comforts all those who mourn. So again, we live between these advents, but don't miss this because Jesus came seeking, serving the hurting here, we're going to see in a minute, saving the lost, and he calls us to join him in that same mission. But let's, before we miss volume one and volume two, let's take one more second because I want us to look at it. We can see the idea here of this in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. I'll put it on the screen here. We're going to somewhere, we're just, just, just going to get read multiple times during the Christmas season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now stop right there for just a second. I don't know what you think about the current government, but I would not ascribe that description to the current government. Right now, for example, I know our taxes are, are high here in Illinois, but just think about it. We do get good roads, low crime, honest government, right? Okay, that's not true. Um, so can we all agree, whatever our political affiliation, is that government is not fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, why would Isaiah say that? Here's why. Because from Isaiah's perspective, he's speaking in the past before the coming of the Messiah, and he's prophesying there will be a day that comes, watch my hands, that a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'd be called a wonderful counselor. Mighty. You see, you see how, how he's speaking of both the coming of Christ first and second together? Right, of the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's to come. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we actually see in Isaiah's prophecy the very thing that I'm talking about. So Here's the thing I want you to miss, right? Because if Isaiah's prophecy is completely fulfilled in one coming, then after that one coming, we shouldn't have to serve the hurting. Think about it for just a second, right? Because when Jesus comes back, there's no more hurting. There's no more pain. There's no more poverty. There's no more whatever it may be. But we live between the times between the first and second coming of Jesus. So, so we as Moody Church, we hear the words that Jesus speaks and the life that he lives. Jesus came seeking, serving the hurting and saving the lost and join him, we join him on that hope-filled mission. So right now, we're between the first and second coming of Jesus. So Moody Church has Naomi's house, why? So we might minister to women who have been trafficked or in other ways hurt. And that's why we're part of By the Hand Club. And that's why we have ministries to those who are disabled. That's why we have all these different things. You know why? Because the first coming of Jesus has been here. He came serving the hurting. We say yes to him when he says, join me in my mission. And so between the first and second coming of Jesus, Moody Church serves the hurting. And then there's no more hurting and we follow forever worshiping around the throne. See, one of my favorite verses is John 20, 21. It says this, as the Father, Jesus is speaking, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So Jesus came serving the hurting, and so should we, bringing hope and help to those who struggle. Number two is we see the good news proclaimed, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? First advent. We hear, see the good news announced, and Jesus comes serving the hurting, and then we see the good news proclaimed, Jesus comes serving, saving, excuse me, saving the lost. Now this actually, will fast forward in the Gospel of Luke to chapter 19, where it says this, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man, Jesus referring to himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I keep saying Jesus came seeking, right? Serving the hurting and saving the lost. And he calls us to join him in that hope-filled mission. Now, this is a, new, a different story. It's a, it's a new story. And it's a story of a, somebody by the name of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Just to give you a little background, 
Zacchaeus, um, some kids, there's a song about some stuff, but we'll skip all that. Uh, I know some of you are like ready to sing the song, just hold off. Um, but he's a, he's, a, he's a publican, right? A, uh, a kind of really epitomized in many ways the description that Isaiah gave. He was, he had some, he was poor in a sense. He had accumulated some wealth, but wrongly and without scruples and character. But the passage makes it clear that he was spiritually poor and destitute, ironically seen in his response of, of turning over significant funds to others. Um, he, he was captive. Zacchaeus was captive. He was a slave to his own sin. He was, he was captive. He was blind. Zacchaeus was blind to his own brokenness. Not physically blind, but spiritually blind. But he longed to see Jesus so much that he climbed up on a tree to see him. And he was a wee little man. Just had to get the song out of your head. He's oppressed and he's broken, right? Because this broken man, he wanted to see Jesus. And here's the difference though, right? Is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And unlike some of the people in that day with their restrictive rules for righteousness, Jesus came to seek the lost or the undone, the broken. He chose a publican to be his host in a town where lots of priests already lived. Why? Why did Jesus come? Right, so Jesus came to... And he did good deeds and healed the sick. Thank God for that. And that's what we can and should do between the first and second coming. We can do good deeds and minister to the sick and the poor and those without. But by doing that without also acknowledging, yes, Jesus came to serve the hurting. And we need more service, not less. Jesus came to serve the hurting. But he also came to save the lost. And if we do all these good deeds loving the people who are hurting, but don't tell them about the Messiah who has come and is coming again, then what ultimately happens is the second coming is a time of terror for them, where it's a time of rejoicing for when Jesus returns to us. So that good news being proclaimed, so he does these things, right? He does good deeds. He heals the sick, but that's not fully why he came. He, he taught multitudes and was remarkable in his teaching, but that is not fully why he came. He fed thousands, but that is not fully why he came. Jesus came seeking, serving the hurting and saving the lost, and calls us to join him on that hope-filled mission. Now, the challenge is, is we see Zacchaeus, and he responds, but let's not just focus on Zacchaeus. I mean, this is the message of Christmas for all of us. Billy Graham put it this way, the very purpose of Christ's coming into the world was that he might offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of men. He came to die. This is the heart of Christmas. So I want you to miss this, right? So Christmas, as we're working towards this in this Advent season, today focusing on hope, but I want you not to miss this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, put it this way. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Aren't you glad that now we have hope because God the Son has come into the world? See, that's why we sing with hope, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But that's also why we eventually sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Now, people talk about keeping Christ in Christmas. Sometimes people talk about uh, the war on Christmas. And they get upset about it. And then somebody at Walmart doesn't wish them a Merry Christmas, but says, Happy Holidays. So you snarl back, Jesus is the reason for the season. 
hard pass on that this year, right? Can we just not do that? But here's what we can do. We can say to a world that Jesus came seeking. He came serving the hurting and saving the lost, and we can join him in that hope-filled mission. Remember that without Christ, we are like those described in Luke 4. Even though we might not have the fullness of their struggle, all of us have walked through pain and brokenness and struggle and more. Still all around us. I bet some of you were with your family at Thanksgiving and somebody brought up politics. And you realize just how broken the world is. Because you had different views and different opinions and maybe turkey was thrown. I don't really know. But here's what I, what I do know. I know there comes a time when there's a second advent, and that is a hope which we still have. So they had a hope 2,000 years ago for the first advent, the coming of the Messiah, right? So the first coming is born in Bethlehem. The second coming changes everything in the whole world. Now, here's the reality. That's not probably how they wanted it, okay? If we sort of think back to the example I keep using, right? So if you're here and the Old Testament prophets are here, I don't know about you, but I think there's a whole lot of people just wished it was like this. Just came, Jesus fixed everything, no more brokenness, no more death. I was struck by that this week because my, my mom had a CD that I'd never heard before. It was a CD of my sister. She, I guess she had done a concert in a prison. She was engaged in some prison ministry with my family. And, and some of you know my sister died tragically at... Uh, about 21 years of age, of a rare form of cancer. And so I was listening to it, and my kids were listening to it, and I, I, I was driving down the road, and I started to cry. And I, my kids haven't seen me cry a lot. I'm not, there's anything wrong with your kids have seen you cry lots. I'm just not a, much of a crier, except at certain Disney films. Uh, so um, frozen later today. But anyway, another story for another day. Not by myself. I'm taking the family. Um, but so I start to cry listening to my sister sing. And it brings me to the reminder that thank God she knew Christ. Because I listened to the songs that she sang. It was a Christian concert. It was her Christian message. And I just thanked God that she knew Christ. And today she's with him forever. And I, I was crying not because of where she is now, but that she's not with us now. See, the reality is, is because the world is still broken, we live between the first and second coming. There are still tears, there's still brokenness, there's still sadness. So maybe we say, well, I just wish you did this, but the Lord in his sovereignty and his wisdom has said, no, I want to take this time so that many might be saved. Again, back to our mission. You know, Pastor Bill mentioned the Christmas concert. How could we not think to ourselves, we must get every person that we know to hear the good news of the gospel because Jesus has come. And now we have this time before he comes again. And he's coming back soon. I don't know when, but they've said soon since the Bible time. So I'm going to say he's coming back soon. So here's the challenge. Henry Ford, actually, you know, the name Ford Cars, right? Henry Ford said this once, if I had asked people what they wanted, he said, they would have said a faster horse. And if we asked people what they wanted, they would have said, just Jesus, fix it the first time. That's what we would have wanted. That's what the people then maybe would have wanted. He said they would have wanted a faster horse. But, you know, here's why. Because Henry Ford, of course, transforms our culture by creating instead not a faster horse, but an automobile, a new category, a new something that didn't 
exist on a mass production level, right? So then, left to themselves, the people wanted a, a, a better temple with the Messiah reigning in it. They wanted an upgraded sacrificial system. Maybe they wanted an overthrown Roman government, but God sent a baby anointed with the purpose not to just renew a covenant, but to give us a new one to come and set his people free spiritually so they might be changed by the power of God. If God gave us what we wanted, we would have not had the joy of what he has given us now. Now, what does that mean for, for us? Well, here's the reality as we look at Christmas time. Jesus came seeking, right? He came serving the hurting, Luke 4, 18 and 19. He came saving the lost, Luke 19, 10. And he calls us to join him in that hope-filled mission. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? It says the saying, this is 1 Timothy 1:15. the saying is indeed trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in which I am the foremost. See, I'm deeply thankful that he didn't just come and wipe out every sinner, his vengeance, his rightful wrath poured out. I'm thankful that he came and by his grace saved me and you and then gave us the privilege of joining with him on that hope-filled mission. So when we talk about the Advent season, we're reenacting this time, but we know what happens here, right? In Romans 5, 6, it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And the ungodly, just in case you missed it, is you and me. See, that's Advent. So Advent is we were waiting for that freedom that comes with the Messiah. But while we reenact that moment in our worship, we also are reminded again that he has come. I said there were two Advents, but sometimes Christians have talked about a third Advent. Let me explain before it makes you nervous. You see, there's another Advent, and that's the time when Christ has come into my heart. So he's come into the world and he's coming back. But the question is between him coming into the world and him coming back, has he come into your heart? Whether you're watching us online, whether you're a guest or whether you've been here for 30 years, has Christ come into your heart? You say, how would that happen? It would be me repenting, asking for forgiveness, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, asking him into my heart. And then, then, right, because Jesus came seeking, serving the hurting and saving the lost, and he calls us to join him in that hope-filled mission, then you become part of his people who are spreading his gospel in here. But if you have not yet trusted Christ. Maybe today is the day when you might do that, knowing that he came. Also today, we'll partake in the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, the Lord's Supper actually specifically says that in do so, we are remembering the death of Christ, his first coming, and we're looking forward to his return, the second coming. So literally, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering both the first and second advent. But if you've not trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, that advent in your heart has not yet come. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that by your grace and your goodness, you indeed did plan two advents. And now we live between the first and second advent, trusting you for your strength and grace and peace and forgiveness. Father, I pray for those who may be here today who have not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that you speak to their hearts in a way that's just transforming and they might call out to you. Matter of fact, if, if that's where you are today and you just pray this simple prayer with me, if it's the prayer of your heart, 
and say, Lord Jesus, just silently to the Lord, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. You came seeking me. And I say, yes to you, Lord. I receive the new life you have for me. I receive the forgiveness, the grace, the gospel. I receive you as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray for men, women, young people who have just prayed that prayer that you indeed might be working in their hearts so they might even before they leave today share that with somebody. Maybe our prayer partners, but they might share that and say, I receive Christ today. But for all of us, Lord, as we approach this time of the Lord's Supper today, I pray that we would indeed have a backward look at the cross, what Jesus did on the cross for our sin and in our place, and a forward look at the return, preparing our hearts for that soon and certain return of King Jesus. Lord, that's our prayer. May you be glorified as we gather together and partake in the Lord's Supper today. For it's in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake that we pray. Amen and amen.